Um, Trump, I mean, like I find it kind of, you know, strange timing. Uh, not Maybe not so strange that Trump is making a pretty, you know, significant um, decision to pull U.S. troops out of Syria. At the same time, he's most likely going to be impeached in the House. So, a lot, you know, I thought it was like, is this him trying to distract, whatever. Whatever the reason is, um, obviously the usual suspects in the military-industrial complex are aghast at him doing this. Um, the discussion is we're basically leaving the Kurds high and dry because they were really on the front lines battling ISIS, uh, that Turkey is going to then uh, go in, which I think they already have. Uh, so what's fact versus fiction? Because to me, I'm a little conflicted. I think we should get out of everywhere. But in this one instance, I do think it could uh, rejigger ISIS. But on the other end, I mean, Congress never declared war in Syria. So we're there illegally. So it's kind of like a mute to me. It's kind of, it's it's a it's a moot point whether we should get out or not, because we never declared war or, or uh, there was no legitimate legitimacy to be there in the first place. What's your thoughts? Well, it's absolutely right that the U.S. has never declared war. This is and has been an illegal war in Syria. The U.S. is waging numerous illegal wars without any authorization. So from a domestic perspective, it's absolutely illegal. From an international perspective, it's also illegal. The U.S. military is occupying foreign soil. The internationally recognized government of Syria has repeatedly said the U.S. military is occupying our territory. And what is that territory? This is not even ever mentioned in these corporate media reports. The U.S. military has constructed more than a dozen bases in northeastern Syria, in the area of the country that just so happens to have the largest oil reserve. Shocker. (laughs) And also is, this is important too, just as important as oil, it's also the breadbasket region of Syria. It's where a large percentage of the food is grown, a lot of wheat and other products, and the U.S. is essentially holding this area hostage. I did a report at the Gray Zone looking at a neoconservative Democratic Party-aligned think tank in, in Washington, D.C., and this this former Pentagon apparatchik, Nicholas Harris, who wrote this article at the think tank um, that was later reported on by major news outlets, including AFP, in which he proposed and really openly kind of indicated that the U.S. government policy has been using the wheat supply in Syria and the Northeast and holding it hostage as a weapon against the central government of Syria. So basically starving civilians. Wait, wait, I just want to interrupt you because I thought we are aghast that we have to supply food and uh, services for those starving, struggling people of Venezuela. Exactly. You mean we're starving people in Syria? Well, it's the same exact thing in both. In fact, the U.S. is also starving people in Venezuela, which we can talk about later. And Yemen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's intentionally using siege as, as a warfare strategy. This is medieval war. It's the same thing in Syria, where this, this U.S. government-funded think tank in D.C. published this paper saying, basically, that the U.S. is holding the wheat hostage in this area that the U.S. military controls, preventing the Syrian government from buying the wheat, even though the Syrian government is offering a better price because it subsidizes the wheat to give to its people. So anyway, the point is that there's no discussion of what the U.S. has been doing in this region or the fact that, again, to stress this point, there are a dozen, more than a dozen U.S. military bases in northeast Syria. Why do we have, we already have 800 U.S. military bases around the world. Why do we need more? Of course, the excuse they use is defeating ISIS. ISIS is defeated. Now the excuse they're using to to say is, oh, we have to stay in northeast Syria because if we leave, ISIS is going to come back, right? So this is always the excuse that's going to be used. What I will say is anyone who opposes war, anyone who's progressive, should support the policy of the U.S. withdrawing troops, not just from Syria, but from Iraq, because there are still troops in Iraq, from Afghanistan, from not the whole region, really. I mean, not just Syria. The thing is, though, and... I don't blame you at all for saying that Trump said he's going to withdraw troops. That's actually not what he said. But every media outlet is misreporting what Trump is doing. Trump is not taking troops out of Syria. He's moving the troops. Mm-hmm. This is an important distinction. And you, you, you actually you said that correctly, that he's moving them. But 
the New York Times, CNN, all these people keep saying that he's withdrawing troops. He's not withdrawing troops. There are right now around 2,000 U.S. troops in Syria. What Trump is doing is he's moving them from a particular buffer zone that was created to another part of Syria. They're still in Syria to let Turkey invade. Now that is a huge scandal, and it should be. He should be condemned for that. He's he's green lighting a Turkish invasion of Syria. Turkey is also illegally occupying Syrian territory, not just the U.S. Turkey, under international law, has no right to be militarily occupying Syrian territory, which it's not just doing in the northeast, it's also doing in other parts of the north. Turkey also, by the way, a major U.S. ally, a member of NATO, Turkey has been supporting ISIS on and off for years. In the early days, Turkey was funneling weapons and support to ISIS. Turkey also had something called the Jihadi Highway. It allowed thousands and thousands of, of hardline extremists from around the world, from Chechnya and other parts of Russian Federation, from China, from Xinjiang, um, from Tunisia, from the North Africa, from the other parts of the Middle East. All these jihadis came to Turkey, and Turkey allowed its open border in the south. You know, they had this porous border and allowed thousands of people to cross in to go into Syria to fight with ISIS and all and, these other And groups. for those that don't know, what is Turkey's interest in basically toppling Assad and, and, and Syria? Well, Turkey and Syria have been enemies for decades. Mm -hmm. It's geopolitics, right? They're right next to each other. Turkey also, especially in recent years, has an increasingly right-wing Islamist government. Uh, Syria has a secular government. Right. They're both they're both police states. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if what's interesting is that, you know, Syria, of course it's a police state and the corporate media outlets always say that, but they never say that Turkey, a major US ally, is in many ways even more authoritarian. For instance, Turkey, again, a member of NATO, Turkey imprisons more journalists than any other country in the world. Turkey has more people, more journalists in prison than China. And China is the biggest country in the world. And we always hear about, oh, China is a horrible police state. Meanwhile, our own ally, a member of NATO, is, which is significantly smaller, still has a larger number of journalists in prison. And why would, uh, why would Trump all of a sudden move troops to this other area, which he knows that Turkey is going to invade? He did speak with Erd Erdogan, Erdogan yeah. uh, right before making this announcement. So what is Trump's, other than just, you know distracting from the impeachment stuff going on, what's his motivation to do this? Well, I think a lot of things. I do think you're right that he's trying to distract people, absolutely, from this Ukraine gate scandal, which we'll talk about. And before we talk about that, I'll say that he did actually engage in a serious crime, and it is actual corruption, although the Bidens are also extremely corrupt, too, and we'll talk yeah. about there's so much corruption on all sides. But So I think that's a, one issue. But I think also what's happening is, one, Trump doesn't know anything about the region, and he doesn't care. I mean, this guy does not care about anyone, and he's a complete narcissist. He didn't, famously, he didn't know the difference between the Quds Force and the Kurds, so he clearly doesn't know who the Kurds are, or who these U.S.-backed forces are, and he just wants to get out of the region. Now, actually, I think the impulse that, as bad as Trump is, his impulse to want to leave the region is a good thing. I think, absolutely, we should get out of the region. But, again, what he's not actually doing is withdrawing from the region. And, and I had this up on my phone, I'll read it really quickly. Here is the New York Times. What's interesting is that the headlines always say withdraw, and then no one actually reads the, the fine details of the story. This is from, directly from the New York Times report, saying that US military officials, of course they're always anonymous officials, they, they're just basically the mouthpiece of the deep state. And the deep state does exist. Uh, the, the New York Times was reporting, U.S. military officials indicated that the 100 to 150 U.S. military personnel deployed to the area, this is the buffer zone with Turkey, would be pulled back in advance of any Turkish operation, but that they would not be completely withdrawn from Syria. That's an, a very important qualifier. And then they also said that there are at least 1,000, probably up to 2,000 troops that are still in Syria, and all they're doing is, quote, getting out of the way. They're not leaving, they're getting out of the way. So what's happening is that Trump and Erdogan agreed to allow, a, to give the green light for a Turkish invasion. Now, why is Turkey doing this? Turkey is fighting Kurdish forces in the region. Turkey is an extremely racist state that has been repressing the Kurdish minority for well over 100 years. 
and of course Turkey committed the Armenian genocide and not just against Armenians but also against Orthodox, Assyrians, other Christians. So, um, so Turkey for a variety of political reasons has been waging a war internally and externally against Kurdish militant groups some of which are separatists and have been trying to create a Kurdistan. Now elements of the US government also want to create an independent Kurdistan because they want to balkanize the region. Mm -hmm. They want to divide the region up and have inter-ethnic fighting so they can better dominate it, right? Because mm -hmm. if you have people fighting among themselves, you can control them better. Mm -hmm. So that's why many the Pentagon, the CIA, elements of the US government have su been supporting some of these Kurdish independence groups. It's not because they care about the Kurds. And they're pretending like they're like saying Trump is abandoning the Kurds. They don't care about the Kurds either. They want to use the Kurds to balkanize and divide up the region. And you can look back to the Iraq war. During the Iraq war, before leading up to and during the Iraq war, there were all these maps that were drafted. And you can see these neoconservative groups in the Bush administration wanted to divide Iraq up. And they wanted the Kurdish region, which would be a separate region. They wanted a Shia region and a Sunni region. And they wanted to do the same thing to Syria. They wanted to divide this country up on ethnic and religious sectarian lines so they can better control it, so that it can exploit it. And especially, to stress this point, the Kurdish majority region in Syria, again, has the largest oil reserves in Syria. Mm -hmm. So it's not a coincidence that the US military is there. And the Syrian government has been trying to get access to that oil and open specifically a road to Baghdad, to Iraq. And so basically, the Syrian government has been trying to get access to its own oil. <laughs> and its own wheat and its own roads, its own highways. That are being blocked off by the U.S. who is there illegally. Yes, the U.S. is there illegally under international law, but some Kurdish forces, not all of them, People always talk about the Kurds as if they're one group, but some Kurdish leaders have allowed the U.S. to occupy this region because it's true that, that the U.S. did help them fight ISIS. Mm -hmm. And it's true that the Kurds played a major role in fighting ISIS, and should, they should be credited for that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, ISIS committed genocide in this region. And so it's in a situation, though, where the U.S. military is illegally occupying this land. The U.S. has to leave at some point. And we should encourage that. The only solution for the Kurdish leadership, which some people in the Kurdish leadership want to do, is to make an agreement with the Syrian government so the Syrian army can redeploy to the northeast and prevent Turkey from invading. But the U.S. doesn't want that either. So that's why the U.S. isn't withdrawing. The U.S. is moving and still preventing the Syrian army from retaking its own territory and allowing Turkey instead to invade. And Turkey is going to commit horrible war crimes. Turkey's going to ethnically cleanse the region. And Turkey's strategy, because again, Turkey's been waging a war against the Kurdish population in this region, not just in its own borders, but within that region. Turkey wants to ethnically cleanse the Kurdish population and then take its own refugee population from inside, Syrian refugees from inside Turkey, and replace the Kurdish areas with those Syrian refugees permanently changing the de demography of this region. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is just classic colonial style ethnic cleansing. It's the kind of thing that the British and French colonialists did where they would population transfer. They would move one population here to there to better control the population. It's similar to what they did with the, the, the Tutsis in Rwanda, which led to the Rwandan genocide, where they think they can just move entire populations around because they can make buffers. Mm -hmm. So the idea is Turkey wants to have, Turkey has 3.6 million Syrian refugees that it took. Turkey helped destabilize and destroy Syria, and so many people fled to Turkey, mostly Sunni Arabs, Syrian Sunni Arabs. So Turkey is gonna take those refugees and, and basically just put them in this border region inside Syria that used to be inhabited by Kurds to try to push the Kurds out and then make a buffer zone of people who will be supportive of Turkey and then Turkey will just treat this as a kind of annexed territory. Turkey's already has done that. Turkey has done that in an area called Afrin which used to be a Kurdish majority town and this was an area also where ISIS was fighting the Kurds and Turkey was supporting ISIS, the enemy of the enemy is my friend, was supporting ISIS against the Kurds there in Afrin, and then after Turkey invaded and so the Kurds defeated ISIS, and then after the Kurds defeated ISIS, Turkey invaded and took over Afrin inside mm -hmm. Syria, 
pushing out, ethnically cleansing the Kurds, and then replacing the community with Syrian refugees. And then in the schools, people are learning Turkish. This is inside Syrian territory. They're Arabs, but they're learning Turkish. And if you look at these insane videos released by Turkish state media, the children are all chanting, thank you Erdogan, thank you, shukran Erdogan. And on the walls, there's giant posters of Erdogan. Wow. So what the US is doing is, the US, from the perspective of the US, they don't want Syria to retake its own Syrian territory because Syria is an enemy and because Turkey's an ally. So they'd rather have Turkey just ethnically cleanse the region because then they know that this region is still gonna be sympathetic to the US. Right. So the thing is, we should support the US withdrawing troops, but that's not really what Trump's doing. He's just moving them. Right. And like the idea that Trump is an idiot. The thing is, Trump says he wants to move, he wants to withdraw troops. He says that he wants to end these wars, but he's also an idiot who doesn't know what he's doing and he's just telling the military move these troops and they're doing what they want to do, which is not withdrawing them completely. Northeastern Syria is not just Kurdish. There are, it's actually one of the most ethnically and religiously diverse region. There are Assyrians, there are Orthodox, there are other Christian groups, there are Arab groups, there are Sunnis, and they're all incorporated into the government. But what's interesting is that there's always this discussion of the Kurds in the media outlets, Hillary Clinton saying the Trump is abandoning the Kurds. The Kurds are not a monolithic entity. There are other people in the region. And there are people also who have political and even ethnic conflicts with the Kurds. I mean, this is a very complex region. You know, we have to point out the irony actually is that some Kurdish groups were involved in the Armenian genocide. So there's mm -hmm. a lot of ethnic conflict. We can't just talk about the Kurds as a big monolithic entity. Also the Kurds in Iran, Iraq, Syria and Turkey are different and they have different political groups. So always the media is like, the US is abandoning the Kurds. Well, the US has abandoned the Kurds multiple times in multiple countries, mm -hmm. but it's not, just, it's not just one group, right? Um, so I'm glad someone mentioned that point, that it's, it's not, you know, there, we can talk about the YPG, the SDF, and this, this, those details I don't want to get into because it's too complicated. But the point is, the moral of the story is, the only solution right now is that Kurdish leadership are going to have to make an agreement with the Syrian army to allow the Syrian government to reincorporate this territory, which is one quarter of the entire territory of Syria, which is being occupied by the US military, a quarter of the entire country. So the only solution is the US should leave and not allow Turkey to invade and say what should happen is that the Syrian government and the Kurdish leadership and different forces in Northeast Syria will have to make an agreement, which is probably what they're going to do. And in fact, in the past year, they've been negotiating together. But the U.S., again, doesn't want that to happen because the U.S. doesn't want to lose this region. Well, I also want to bring up, that, you know, you pointed out that it's within the U.S.'s interest and pattern to basically create internal tribal wars, civil wars. So, I mean, a lot of people know this, but like the U.S., who giving money to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia has armed jihadists in um, Syria that have then fought the CIA. So it's like the U.S. is basically, through its aid to Saudi Arabia, arming jihadis, I, I believe ISIS, correct me if I'm wrong too, that then fight the CIA-funded Kurds. <laughs> so it seems to me that, you know, oh, we've got to stay in Syria. Again, disclaimer, we're illegally there, but putting that aside, uh, when the U.S. is basically playing this two, three-dimensional chess and funding on, the, on paper fighting itself, uh, but also uh, basically arming jihadists that are fighting the Kurds. Well, that's a point again that the U.S. doesn't actually care about the Kurds, right, in, in quotes. The US did did I have that? I had that right. You're right. right. Yeah. Well, the point, you're right that, so here's, here, there's a lot to unpack here, and I don't want to get too much into the, into the weeds, but so... A 2014 email from Hillary Clinton forwarded to John Podesta that was later published by WikiLeaks. Are you a Russian trigger? <laughs> uh, obviously. <laughs> but by that notorious Russian, Russian Julian Assange, you know, the Australian Russian. Anyway, with this WikiLeaks email published citing U.S. intelligence services admits that Saudi Arabia and Qatar were both supporting ISIS. Also, I, re I tweeted recently, the former president of Benin in Africa, he also recently revealed that 
that Saudi Arabia and Qatar were also supporting the ISIS affiliate in West Africa, Boko Haram. So we all know, everyone in the world knows that Saudi Arabia and Qatar, two very close Western allies, have supported ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all of these Salafi jihadi groups. But they don't care because in Syria and in Yemen, those groups are useful. Mainstream media outlets, including the Associated Press, have acknowledged that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates were supporting Al-Qaeda in Yemen, allied with Al-Qaeda in Yemen, fighting against the Houthis, who were allied with Iran. The US was supporting that policy because the enemy of the enemy is my friend. This is not new, and it's, and it's not even you know, it's just something that the US does. I mentioned that the British and French, when they colonized the Middle East, up until really, not very recently, right? Up until 50 years ago. From 1916, there's the Sykes-Picot Sykes Agreement, and in World War I, the French and the British arbitrarily divide up the region among themselves. They took out a map, and they sat down and said, here is all the territory of the former Ottoman Empire. We get Syria, you get Palestine. You get Jordan, we get, you know, they just divided up this region, like colonialists do. So this is not a new policy. It's, it's, how, it's the colonial tactic of divide and conquer. And so the U.S. was supporting Kurdish forces that were fighting ISIS, but then the U.S. was also supporting Saudi Arabia and Qatar, which were supporting ISIS. And at the end of the day, that might seem like an illogical policy. It's only illogical if you think that the U.S. cares about Syrians, which it doesn't. It cares about its own interests. Henry Kissinger famously said, countries don't have principles or morals, they have interests. Mm -hmm. And that is how foreign policy Especially makers, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> well, of course, is that we don't have allies, we don't have friends, we have interests. The so-called Kurds are not our allies, they're not our friends. They served our interests temporarily, and our interests might have changed, or now they don't serve our interests. So we have to get out of this idea that you know, Hillary Clinton and Chuck Schumer are like, the U.S. is abandoning its allies. They don't believe that either. It's not about allies, it's about interests. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, the Kurds have real, the Kurds, again, we keep saying the Kurds, Kurdish leaders of the YPG, SDF, that allied with the U.S., they're now realizing, once again, that the U.S. is not going to support its allies. Mm -hmm. And it's not the first time this has happened. This happened in Iraq, when the U.S. encouraged Kurdish groups in Iraq who are different from Syrian Kurds. They speak a different dialect. The U.S. encouraged Kurdish groups in Iraq to rise up against Saddam two different times and then just let them be slaughtered by mm -hmm. Saddam. So this is, this is not new. But again, just I know there's a lot of complex details involved in this. For people who are listening, who are just joining, this, the, the solution is simple. And I, I think, again, as bad as Trump is, his instinct to want to get out of Syria, that instinct is something we should actually encourage. The U.S. should get out of Syria, but the U.S. is actually not getting out of Syria. It made an agreement with Turkey to allow Turkey to once again invade, which Turkey has done multiple times in the past several years, and the, and the U.S. is simply moving its troops. The, the only solution is U.S. out of Syria, Turkey out of Syria, which is illegal under international law, and these groups in the Northeast need to make an, a political agreement with the Syrian government to finally end the war, because in the majority of Syria, the war is over. Right. But of course, the U.S. is still bleeding the country up until the end. So to put a bow on this particular topic, I mean, all I hear in the corporate media is this is going to rebirth ISIS, and it's basically like we left Iraq and ISIS happened, and now we're leaving Syria, and it's going to basically re re regenerate ISIS. Well, one, again, the U.S. is actually not leaving Syria, even though they should. They keep saying that, but Trump is just moving the troops. The New York Times, I just stressed, the New York Times said that they're not leaving. They should leave, but they're not. Anyway, but no, this is the excuse always used. Oh, we have to stay there or ISIS is going to come back. ISIS was not defeated by the U.S. The U.S. helped support Kurdish groups, which did play a role in fighting ISIS in certain areas, but ISIS was defeated in large part regions, not just in the Kurdish regions, by the Syrian army, by Iran, the boogeyman Iran, by Iraq and the popular mobilization forces in Iraq, the Hashid, PMFs, which are backed by Iran, and by Hezbollah. Now, we're supposed to believe that all of these groups are evil, boogeymen, 
of course, because they refuse to recognize Israel, because they're fighting Israel, because they are, go against U.S. interests, because they are fighting Saudi Arabia. So we're supposed to believe that somehow they are the bad guys. But Saudi Arabia supported ISIS, a major U.S. proxy in the region. Meanwhile, Iran, the Iranian sympathetic Iraqi government and Hezbollah and the Syrian army all played a leading role in defeating ISIS, not just in Syria. Here's another quick example. In Lebanon, a tiny country, extremely diverse country like Syria, many Christian groups, Armenians, uh, Catholics, Orthodox, Shia, Sunni, very diverse. Inside Lebanon, there were, there were border towns on the border of Syria that were being taken over by ISIS. And the Lebanese army was so weak that the Lebanese government allied with Hezbollah, which is a legal political party with an armed wing inside Lebanon, in the Lebanese parliament, democratically elected. We're told that all, they're all terrorists. The Lebanese government and military allied with Hezbollah together to fight against ISIS. We're supposed to believe that Hezbollah are, Mike Pompeo called them the world's worst terrorists. Meanwhile, US allies are supporting ISIS. US enemies are fighting ISIS. And they can defeat ISIS. The US, no one needs the US to defeat ISIS. The U.S. is using this as an excuse. Again, the U.S. whose allies and intelligence services fueled ISIS for years. This is always an excuse to justify continued military occupation, once again, of the most oil-rich region in Syria. Like, I mean, it's just like... And also, by the way, there's no mention... What, what, I mean, Trump has, like, tripled Obama's drone program. So we're creating enemies pretty much all over the Middle East. So leaving Syria, I mean, even if we stay in Syria, it's not like there's not other groups forming that want to attack America because we don't actually think about long-term consequences of droning half the world, bombing school buses in Yemen, bombing weddings in Yemen, and God knows where else. So it's not like the only terror threat is in Syria. But I think to put a bow on it, the bottom line is, whether we should leave or not, you can't just willy-nilly without congressional approval go in wherever you want. And I think the bottom line is, I think we could agree, Assad is, is, is a brutal dictator, uh, but at the same time, it's his country. Syria has their own sovereignty. Well, but also the Syrian government is not just Assad. Of course, right. I mean, the Syrian government is very authoritarian. So is every country in the region. Mm -hmm. And it's always, it's always apples and oranges. We're always comparing the Syrian government to the French government or something, which is a colonial government that, no, Syria is a formerly colonized country that has never had a chance to be able to self-govern. Like I mentioned, in 1916, it was stolen from the Ottoman Empire and handed over to the French Empire and colonized by the French until the 1950s and 60s. And they had a national liberation struggle to free themselves from colonialism. And then they've had a series of wars ever since. They've never been able to exercise sovereignty in this extremely violent, turbulent region, which is still partially colonized. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the Syrian government is authoritarian. And you know what also is authoritarian? Its neighbor, Jordan. Mm. Meanwhile, its neighbor, Jordan, is a monarch Syria, for all of its weaknesses mm, and problems, I think I'm more of a, nah. <laughs> for all of its weaknesses, Syria is a secular republic where women have equal rights. And, you know, this is sometimes used by Islamophobes and, you know, screw Islamophobes. We shouldn't encourage Islamophobia. But it's true that in Syria, it's one of the only countries in the region where women have completely equal rights under law. They certainly don't in Saudi Arabia, where women can go out and, you know, at night and have, you know, party and have fun. And, you know, again, that, even though Islamophobes say that, that's still true and it's an important thing. It is a fact that about Syria. And meanwhile, the Islamophobes are actually supporting the war on Syria. And the Islamophobes are actually allied with the jihadis to destroy the secular state of Syria that allows for protections for all religious and ethnic minorities. So regardless, yes, Syria is a police state. It's an authoritarian state. But again, so is Jordan. The difference is Syria. So is Saudi Arabia. Yeah, Saudi Arabia is one of the most authoritarian countries on earth. And also, Lebanon is a democracy, but Lebanon's a failed state. And Lebanon, the government is so weak, they don't pick up the garbage sometimes. And there was a big protest movement. So the point is that in the region, of course, yes, there are a lot of issues, but the US and its allies, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Turkey, they don't care actually about the fact that Syria is a police state. Turkey's a police state. 
It's not about a, it's the fact that they have a secular independent government that refuses to recognize Israel, that supports Palestinian groups and Lebanese resistance groups fighting Israel, that is allied with Iran, that is against Saudi Arabia. That is why it's geopolitical. It's not because of freedom and democracy. So to me, Ukraine gate as opposed to Russia gate, I mean it's to me it's pretty black and white. I mean Trump is on on a call basically bribing uh, another a foreign leader who was just elected that, you know, you do for me, I'll do for you, and get me some dirt on uh, Biden, who Trump probably thought was going to win the nomination. So, I mean, to me, it's kind of, even though we know corruption exists and this is just baked into the cake, we also can't just be like, oh, it's Trump. I mean, what he did was illegal. <laughs> and what he did, I mean, we would be screaming from the rooftops if that was Hillary Clinton as president. So it is illegal. There is a there there as as far as Trump doing it. Of course, the Democrats don't actually care about the rule of law. They just care about focusing on impeachment. Trump's the Antichrist, so they don't have to focus on like half the country's starving, half the country's poor, 500,000 people are sleeping out on the streets, uh, Bernie Sanders movement, etc. So I'm not exactly like, rah, rah, let's go Nancy Pelosi. But at the same time, Trump uh, did uh, do this. And I think it's valid that I think he should have been impeached for several things before this. But I think it is valid that the, that they are looking into impeachment. Uh, where you lose me here is, ugh, these unfair, there's nothing to this about Joe Biden and his son. You know, his son just happened to be on a board making $50,000 a month for, I don't even think he ever showed up at the board meetings. Uh, also, you know, he, his son goes with him to China in 2013, I think it was. And all of a sudden, like a day later, a Chinese company gives his son's private equity group like a billion dollar contract. As far as I know, Hunter Biden doesn't speak Chinese or have any knowledge at all. So. Of course, in fairness, Biden's, Biden is not the first one to do this. You think Chelsea Clinton's on all these boards because of her expertise? You think, uh, you know, I'm sure Obama, there was uh, generosity to friends and family. But there is corruption with Biden uh, beyond just Ukraine. I mean, NAFTA, TPP, bankruptcy bill. I just did a story. Did you know that uh, his donors are freaking out because he's going down in the polls and Trump is attacking him every day? So his campaign literally did a donor strategy session at Morgan Stanley's offices. Oh my God. So they're having basically like, I did, I did a, basically it. they're holding a, a meeting to like soothe the donors, soothe the donors Well, there was at, a really good at, article. At, at Wall Street banks. There was a really good article about how Biden was complaining that Trump was stealing his donors. He said, Trump, stop stealing my donors, which says everything. Right. Like, <laughs> right. So um, I'll start with the Trump part of it because, I mean, I thought Russiagate was a lot of BS, but I think there's validity to at least that Trump went way over the line, uh, more so than, than he typically has. Well, the first thing I'll say is, can I accidentally somehow end up with a $50,000 a month sinecure on a board that I don't have to do anything for? Because Certainly not at status quo. I know. <laughs> like, if, if, if it's that easy, please sign me up. I mean, come on. All right, look, the thing about this case is it's 100% true that this is definitely an example of corruption by Trump. I mean, we have this, you know, non-official kind of transcript transcript. It's not actually a transcript, but it's kind of a transcript where he's he's asking for deliverables. I mean, come on. It's so obviously quid pro quo. It's so obviously corruption. And at the same time, of course, none of us should be surprised. I mean, this is how Trump did business. You know, he was notoriously corrupt, involved allegedly with the mafia. You know, he was involved in gambling. I mean, that, it's all corruption. I mean, whatever, real estate, it's all corruption. It's all quid pro quos. He's not like some great businessman. He can't, you know, he can't even get a deal done here. But so there's no question that it's actual corruption. But at the same time, the ultimate irony, like always, is that the Democrats are putting all their eggs in this basket once again, and it exposes their own corruption. So... It's just, it's just showing once again how corrupt both of these corporate Wall Street parties are. The Bidens are absolutely 100% complicit in corruption in Ukraine. Let's, let's unpack what Hunter Biden was doing. Because the degree of the scandal hasn't been uncovered by media. The corporate media is always... You know, I don't want to interrupt you, but for once I'll defend a New York Times reporter. 
Ken Vogel at yeah. the New York Times was actually digging into what yeah. you're talking about, and he's been just lambasted by the rest of the media for using, you know, to pushing right-wing talking events about Joe Biden. Listen, I, I know, I mean, I'm not best friends with him, but I know Ken, like, during the 2016 campaign, he was on the plane and we got to talking. He's one of the decent corporate reporters, in my view. And he was actually digging into that there is more with Biden and corruption in Ukraine. And for that, he was basically, like, shunned in the corporate media. Yeah, and Ken Vogel before did really good reporting at Politico. And actually, Ken Vogel did excellent reporting showing how Ukraine meddled in the, in the election. So we always hear, oh, Russia's hacked our democracy. The Kremlin stole the election. Well, you know, that was all completely overblown and ridiculous. And the only evidence they could so supposedly find was these Russian Facebook ads, which come on. And RT, you know, the, the DNI released this report and they blamed Abby Martin. Half the report was blaming our friend Abby Martin for her show on RT. I mean, come on. But meanwhile, Ken Vogel showed in this political investigation that Ukraine was was trying to was trying to dig up dirt against Paul Manafort and against Trump, who are extreme both extremely corrupt. Obviously, it's not fake dirt; it's real. But they were that Ukraine was meddling to try to prevent Trump from getting elected on behalf of Hillary Clinton. So. You know, my, my colleague Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone, he did a great interview discussing this detailed corruption with Aaron Mate, and you can find, you know, they go they go super into details. I'm not going to go into those details with all the names, but... I'll, uh, hold on. TheGrayZone.com. Yeah, but the funny thing is Max made a joke, and he's right. Max said, look, every four years in the U.S., we vote... Uh, the president who's going to meddle in elections around the world. So it's only right that other people around the world try to meddle in our own election. I mean, honestly, if you're thinking about how politics actually works, of course I don't support foreign meddling, but that's the reality of how it works. And Ukraine was also involved in the meddling. Anyway, whatever. The point is, let's get back to the Bidens. All right. Biden is extremely corrupt, and it's kind of good, honestly. Look, I think the, this impeachment proceeding... I think in a lot of ways it's a bad idea. I think it could backfire and help Trump because it confirms the narrative that there is a witch hunt against Trump. At the same time, I think it could hurt Biden. As a progressive, I think that's actually kind of good. I, I'm glad it can hurt Biden because this is he's even worse than Hillary Clinton. This is one of the worst candidates you can imagine. I think he's I think he's I think he would lose worse than she did. I, I mean think. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But I, I mean, in, in fairness to Hillary Clinton, she could at least string sentences together well. <laughs> and she can at uh, least go on, on air and her eye won't bleed. Right, right. <laughs> like, also, by the way, let's talk about media conspiracies. Then no one talked about Joe Biden went on TV on a debate with millions of people watching and his eyes started bleeding live on air and there was no discussion of it. Right. Meanwhile, you know, Bernie has, for the first time, has a health issue. He has a heart attack and it's all over. Everyone's saying Bernie needs to drop out. Bernie should drop out. Right. It's just like the double standards are so obvious that everyone in the corporate media on Wall Street, Silicon Valley, they are all in for Biden. And if Biden can't make it, if he can't physically survive to the finish line, they're in for war on mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that. But let's talk about Ukraine. We're getting distracted here. Okay. So in Ukraine, this scandal is real. In Ukraine, in 2014, in February, there was a coup against the democratically elected president, the democratically elected government of Ukraine. Now, you never hear that discussed. You never hear the historical context in corporate media. If there ever is historical context, it's like last week. It's not, wow, five years ago, so long ago. Under Obama, Vice President Joe Biden was playing a leading role in Ukraine policy. He kind of took it under his wing, was overseeing Ukraine policy. Biden oversaw a coup in Ukraine. By the way, in that coup, neo-Nazi and neo-fascist groups, far-right white supremacists, played a, a, a role as the kind of muscle mm -hmm. behind this coup attempt, and then they later incorporated into the Ukrainian National Guard. It's a huge scandal alone there. And they've been working with white supremacists in the US and Europe. 
recently, a few weeks ago, a, an extremist in the U.S. Army was arrested for planning bomb attacks targeting Beto O'Rourke and a media outlet. And there was reporting on that. There wasn't discussion of the fact that he was also trying to join a Ukra Ukrainian neo-Nazi group, the Azov Battalion, which was armed by the U.S. government and which is embedded in the Ukrainian National Guard. So Ukraine is just like a never-ending series of scandals. This is an extremely corrupt country. Ever since the Soviet Union was overthrown, overnight the, the Clinton administration imposed what was called neoliberal shock therapy, privatizing everything. And basically overnight, the economy in Ukraine and other countries was just privatized and handed over to these series of oligarchs. Mm -hmm. So literally, it, it, literally overnight, the day before you had like a national mineral company, everything was owned by the state, right? And then the next day there's, there's an auction and all of these corrupt oligarchs just like take control. This is my industry now. I I'm an oligarch who controls the mining. I control, you know, Poroshenko controlled ch uh, chocolates and, and candy. Poroshenko was the previous leader of Ukraine um, who was like the coup leader. Anyway, so Biden was overseeing this policy, this coup in this extremely corrupt country in February 2014. Immediately after the coup, a few months later, Hunter Biden, who has no experience in Ukraine, who doesn't speak Ukrainian, who has no foreign policy experience, who had just been, you know, kicked out of the military for drug addiction, he suddenly, in his lap, he gets offered a $50,000 per month so more than half a million dollar per year symbolic position sitting on the board of not just any Ukrainian company, but one of the most notoriously corrupt gas companies in Ukraine. That, First of uh, all, a position that Joe Biden never spoke to him about ever, well, according to Joe Biden. Well, this is the hilarious thing. So Biden says, we never talked about it. Actually, if you go back and look in an article that was published in uh, and a major article that was published about Hunter Biden's drug addiction, this long piece, this investigation piece, in this piece from like two years ago, Hunter Biden mentions his position in Ukraine and Joe Biden allegedly told Hunter, according to this article, well, you have to be careful. He gave him advice. So we know because he's quoted in that article that he did obviously talk to his son about it. Mm -hmm. So he's lying there. But anyway, so but let's let's think about this for a second. Hunter Biden is given this position months after the coup his dad helped oversee. And let's go further. What is this this company, this Ukrainian natural gas company? It is controlled by one of the most corrupt oligarchs in Ukraine. He was so corrupt that the head of this Ukrainian natural gas company had 20, $24 million of his own personal assets frozen in the UK, in Britain, because he was involved in corruption. And he was currently, he was in the process of appealing the British and the Americans to try to unfreeze his assets so he can continue doing business. So there's so many levels of corruption and we're just barely scratching the surface. The last thing I'll say on this is that Biden's last speech was in Ukraine. Hmm. So Biden had been seriously invested in Ukraine. You know, this, this scandal of him allegedly, who knows, but allegedly pressuring this Ukrainian anti-corruption uh, czar from pushing him out so he couldn't investigate the corruption. Who knows if that's actually true? You know, we can't really believe Giuliani, but I think we should be very skeptical. And all I'll say is that, look, let's talk more about the, the effect on the Democrats. You know, this very likely is an example of real corruption by Trump. But it also is even more likely, in broad daylight, a blatant example of corruption by Biden, implicating not just Biden, but the Obama administration. And it's very likely that Trump and the right wing are going to be able to use this scandal to help their own reelection campaign because they're going to be like, look, Russiagate failed, which it did. Russiagate was built on lies, which it was. Now they're trying to do this whole Ukraine gate thing. They went one country over from, they went, ironically, they tried to prove that Trump colluded with Russia and they couldn't prove it. So now they went to Russia's enemy, which is in a war with Russia, Ukraine. And, and they actually did prove 
Trump's collusion with Ukraine. And all it is is going to, I think, for a lot of people who are maybe sympathetic to Trump and they're kind of conservative leaning but aren't sure who they're going to vote for, I think it actually could potentially help win them over to Trump's side because, you know, Trump has said for two years now this is a witch hunt. And, you know, he's paranoid and he does lie a lot and he's very corrupt. But he's not wrong that it is kind of a well, witch hunt. Well, I, I think what's really going to happen if Joe Biden was the nominee, Trump's got $200 million in the bank from the RNC and, and his own fundraising. I think they're just going to carpet bomb uh, Joe Biden, not to mention I mean, they've already run Ed showing him stumbling through his words and things like that. But with more of this Ukraine stuff and really what's going to happen is it's going to it's just going to depress turnout. Just like you had in 2016, it's going to depress turnout for the Democrats. You're going to have less black people coming out, less Latinos coming out, definitely less young people if Joe Biden is the nominee. And Trump's going to win with his small base. But that will prevail if he's facing somebody that is being depicted as corrupt. And he is corrupt. Joe Biden is corrupt. Um, you know, I'm being attacked on Twitter for being sexist and misogynist. It's it's that same record spinning. You know, this is what they said when you're against uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016. So, obviously, by the way, it's, it's also so funny to me because, look, uh, I'm I'm not one of those people who like I Bernie's great and I support Bernie and I really hope he wins. But to be honest. In the past election, I, I voted, I mean, I live in New York, so I voted third party. So it's so funny as all these people come, they say we're sexist for opposing Hillary Clinton. I actually voted for a woman for president in, tw- in the last election. Just not the Because I voted they, third party. Just not the woman they want. Because in New York, our vote doesn't matter. Right. And I voted third party in 2012, too, and in 2008. So people call, I've actually, in every single presidential election I voted in, I voted third party for a woman. Mm-hmm. And they call me sexist. When well, they, they call don't, you sex- Jill Stein's not a woman to them. She's a no. she's a Russian robot. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on. So, I mean, listen, there's two things that, you know, some people don't like me saying, but I have to be factual. She's definitely surged in the polls. I put some salt. Uh, I, I take some of these polls with a grain of salt, particularly the ones that, you know, 70% of those polled are over 50 and the so- small sample size. The other thing is I still have people saying this. When, I mean, I don't even know how you're saying this because Bernie Sanders' campaign is confirming he, he did have a heart I, I have people saying he didn't have a heart attack. He did have a heart attack. I mean, I have to be fair. If Joe Biden had a heart attack, I'd be critical of it. I will say, though, that after his heart attack, that photo of, of, of Bernie coming out of the uh, hospital with his fist raised, man, he's yeah. a fighter. Like, he's still yeah. kicking. And he's already walking with Jane. So, like, listen, yeah. I'm not his doctor, but, I mean, all you could do is look the next few weeks. How does he respond? Uh, so let's talk about the debate next week. Wait, wait, wait before you go, all right, look. The, we talked about this a little bit before, but to hit this point again, Bernie is he's old. Biden is basically the same age, by the way. But mm-hmm. you never hear someone say, well, increasingly, finally in the past year, as Biden has become so senile, he can't speak a complete sentence and his eyes bleeding on TV. <laughs> finally, people are like, okay, well, maybe he is too senile. But And by the way, Warren is 70. Yeah, I mean, so they're all very similar in age. And Trump's similar in age, too, by the way. But... But anyway, Bernie hasn't had a major health issue until this time. It's been, he's been campaigning since what, 2015? Yep. And this is the first time he's had a major health issue. Meanwhile, I remember back to when Hillary Clinton passed out at a campaign event and the entire corporate media was like, well, well, the liberal media at least, not, I mean, Fox News was like, oh, she's going to die, whatever. But uh, actually, my favorite was Fox News, their conspiracy that she was like replaced by a clone <laughs> or whatever. Anyway, whatever. But the MSNBC and CNN were like, oh, no, her health is fine. Hillary Clinton, she's going to run and she's going to be a great president. Meanwhile, the first time Bernie in five years has a health issue Everyone's like, Bernie needs to drop out. Bernie can't be president. He's too old. He can't be... Come on. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. It's just blatant propaganda. So, listen, I've been critical of Bernie because in debates, I I, I think since 2016, he goes to these, you know, a knife fight holding a spoon. Even when he does disagree, it's like, well, my friend over here, Joe Biden. So, I, I think the bottom line is... Bernie Sanders lives in this utopia in his mind that, you know, you just run on the issues, run a positive campaign, and you win. Unfortunately, that's just not how it works. 
his ideas are winning, but for the people that aren't diehards into politics, for the people that are just going to start tuning into this election, maybe even not even this debate, the next debate, uh, they want to see a fighter. And also Biden, shockingly, and this is a real this is a real uh, explanation of how bad the media is. A lot of Biden supporters make fifty thousand dollars or less and only have high school degrees, which is Bernie's base, which is Trump's base. A lot of those Biden supporters making $50,000 or less or just high school degrees, they like Biden because they've bought into this framing that he's the middle class middle class Joe, union guy Joe. Meanwhile, his do- his campaign is having strategy brief- briefings with top level donors at Morgan Stanley. So my question to you is, is Bernie Sanders going to, I mean, you can't get in his head, but like he does need to differentiate himself with Elizabeth Warren. I don't think he needs to like go crazy over the top aggressive. But I think he needs to point out uh, basic things like, number one, you either have integrity or you don't. You can't, like, not take the money for six months and then take the money in the general. Frankly, Elizabeth Warren, you got a lot of great plans, but you're not. How are you going to get those through without a movement? And also, how are you going to get those through when you're going around the country having hot tea with the leaders of the Democratic Party? How are you going to get these proposals through that the party you're playing footsie with I mean, this is my phrasing, not his, is vehemently against all the things you're talking about. And by the way, are you are you willing to compromise on Medicare for all? Because it sounds like it She's, in your speeches. She certainly is. Yeah. I will say, Bernie, this campaign is really impressive. He is taking it to the next level. He's not holding anything back. Every week or two, he releases an incredible new policy like a comprehensive policy vision that is so revolutionary compared to everyone else. I mean, he really is, he's going all the way with his campaign, which is good. And by the way, I haven't covered it yet. The the lobbyists are outraged that Bernie just came out with a plan to basically forbid corporate donations to the DNC convention. But I will say, I think I agree with you that he's being really soft on his competitors. And I know why, I get it. It's the same thing Bernie did in the last campaign. It's because he's afraid that he's not going to win the primary, that it's going to be stolen from him as it was last time, and that he's afraid that if he attacks his other opponents too much, that it will hurt them and help Trump's re-election. Well, well it's based, I think he's got to get over it. It's going to be stolen from you either way. Yeah. So. I also think, look, you've got to get over it. Who cares? It's true. What you're saying about Biden is true. And look, they're going to use that stuff against the Democratic opponents anyway. So... And they're already attacking, they're already blaming Bernie, the neoliberals are already blaming Bernie for Trump winning the last election anyway. So it's like, you're already facing those attacks, you just got to deal with it. I do agree that he should go harder against, especially Biden. I mean, he should criticize Warren, and he's done that a little bit, but Biden is just so awful in every way. well, Well, here's a very easy thing, and I don't know why he doesn't say it. Respectfully, Vice President Biden, you're talking about restoring the soul of the nation. You're talking about being middle class Joe. You pushed NAFTA that has demolished the middle class exactly. of this country. And the TPP. Right. He pushed the TPP actively. And, and the funny thing is that, you know, Julian Castro was the one of the only ones really pushing Biden hard and got so, so attacked. He was like, oh, it's not fair. He's attacking Biden for being old. Well, if Bernie criticizes Biden, he can't, he can't be criticized for, they, they can't say he's ageist. You know, they're the same age. Because I personally think, I mean, if you look at the numbers, yes, Warren rising is a threat to Bernie, but I would take just a straight up Bernie first Warren. But you have to neutralize Biden because Biden yep. is, even though Biden's uh, falling down to the polls and he's just he just uh, performed $10 million worse this last quarter, um, he still is at that 25 to 20 20 to 25 percent so if bernie could really have a knockout like bernie's not gonna have a knockout of biden like kamala had and then do nothing after if bernie has like a figurative knockout of biden he actually will carry through after that and keep the momentum going and then in just a one-on-one if it comes to a one-on-one with bernie and warren i would if i'm a progressive i take that any day of the week because i think you know listen uh, I get in trouble with my audience sometimes. They don't agree with me, but I, I say, I don't know how you feel. Listen, I don't think Warren is Hillary Clinton. I don't think she's that bad. No, she's not. I, I don't. I don't think she's as bad as some people I think, think Warren she is. Warren is is quite bad. She's not. She's definitely not good. But she's not Hillary Clinton. Right. Hillary Clinton was so so right wing. Right. But I, I don't think. 
I don't I mean, think. It, we, I don't although think Bur- Warren did, she was a Republican until her forties, and she voted for Ronald Reagan twice. Yes. So, but and, and also, I don't Moore, think she, also Moore yeah. is coming out about how she yeah. worked for, as a corporate lawyer for corporations yep. against like asbestos victims yep. and Dow Chemicals. So like, there will be more that comes out. The media has been slobbering over her for months. Yeah, I will say Warren is better than Biden, but she's still awful. Right. These policies are absolutely affordable, and the way to do it is ending the wars and cutting military spending. And you don't even, I mean, I agree with the MMT people to an extent as well, but that doesn't mean, just because you can print new money doesn't mean that you shouldn't also cut military spending, cut the bloated, huge military industrial complex apparatus, cut, also abolish DHS, abolish ICE, which is also a huge waste. I mean, all these things, there's so much money being wasted in all this stuff. And Elizabeth Warren doesn't talk about it because Elizabeth Warren, she, she is a technocrat. She is not, she's not even that progressive. She is a reformist technocrat who thinks you can just, you know, move a little few things around and, you know, chop a little the top off of some things. Elizabeth Warren basically thinks we're going to regulate our way out of this. That's what she thinks. We're going to regulate our way out of that. And don't, don't get me wrong. I think we do need real regulation. But the problem with that is we had regulatory bodies in place to avoid a financial crash. But these a lot of the regulator, regulatory bodies are not allowed to regulate. Look at the Federal Election Commission. Yep. There's there's campaign finance like uh, f- um, violations like basically every single day before breakfast. But we regulate regulatory uh, reform does not fundamentally fix a rotten apple. And the rotten apple is our government has been sold to the highest bidder. And I don't hear her talking. She keeps talking about taking money out of politics, money out of politics, but. I mean, her campaign treasurer, his nickname is a personal Pac-Man, his personal Pac-Man. She says, no, we're not going to unilaterally disarm, even though Bernie Sanders is proving you don't have to take this money. He, he made more money through eight average donation of $18. Uh, than- and I will say it's so, and we got to stress this point, it's so impressive that his average donor was a teacher the average job of his donor was a teacher and that the most common employers of his donors were walmart and amazon so these are working class people that's incredible and i will say another i gotta give credit to bernie for this uh bernie did a a recent interview with virgil texas of chapo trap house and it's a very it was one of the best interviews that has been done with bernie because and uh chapo if you're listening i'm available Uh, it's it was one of the best interviews done with Bernie because most of the people who interview him are always just attacking him, and and this interview he got to actually speak more about his ideas economically and politically. I thought the uh, Joe Rogan interview was really good. Joe too. Rogan's was very good. Yeah. You know, people attack Joe Rogan a lot, and I don't agree with all of his views, but I respect Joe Rogan because he's actually serious about interviewing people across the ideological spectrum. Mm-hmm. A lot of these like classical liberal idiots who are really right-wing, they say that they do that, but all they do is interview people from a tiny spectrum. Jerogan actually interviews people from across the spectrum, which is admirable as a journalist. Anyway, he's a better, he's not even a journalist, but he's better than, he's a better journalist than most actual professional so-called journalists. Anyway, but in this interview that Bernie did with Virgil, Bernie repeatedly said that he referred to himself as he's running to be organizer in chief. And that is so fundamentally different. That is so important. He understands that he can't accomplish any of this without a mass movement of protests, of people pressuring the government, because I think Bernie understands that we don't really live in a democracy. We, you know, this famous Princeton study that was the vice Princeton sociologist that showed that from a quantitative social science perspective, there is no democracy in the U.S., that that powerful interest groups, big money, corporations, and big capitalists control everything. That This is only a democracy for capitalists. It seems that she, maybe she has some convictions, but she's very, she's flexible to move away from them uh, to basically play the game. And the game is what got us here uh, to this, this point. And I'll say the game is what Obama did. You know, I remember in 2008, I don't want to say I told you so back over a decade, but I remember I had all these friends who were so excited about Obama. They're like, he's going to be so great and progressive and hope and change. 
and Warren is doing the kind of same thing. I mean, Bernie's running to the left of her, so she doesn't seem nearly as progressive. But I think she would just, if she were to win, she would be another Obama, and she would make these promises and, and accomplish very few of them. And also, look, even from, there's also this narrative that Biden is so electable and he can beat Trump. I don't even know if that's true, honestly. But to be fair, I actually think Warren can beat Trump. So even aside from her policies, just from a strict pragmatic perspective, I actually genuinely think that Trump would beat Elizabeth Warren in a in a an election. And why is that? Look at how bad her political judgment is. All you have to do is look at this Native American thing. Trump was like, oh, if she can prove she's Native American, I'll give her whatever money. And then she did a DNA test and her campaign released a video of her DNA test proving that she's like 112th indigenous. She thought that was a good political move and then Trump was just like using it to attack her. That's bad political judgment. Aside from her policies, aside from all that other, all the other stuff, I don't think she's actually a very good politician. She doesn't, I don't, I think, and, a, and it, look, think about a debate between Trump and Warren. He would wipe the floor with her. Hope you enjoyed that last video. Hop on over to statuscoup.com where you could sign up for our email list and become a member for as low as five to ten dollars a month. Membership is how we grow. That's statuscoup.com slash join. And remember, join our email list so we can grow the revolution with you.